Welcome to the latest Total Football Podcast. My name is Second Hand and I'm joined by Andrew Conway. Hello. It's the last international break of 2017 and the last few places are to be filled for a long stretch of Total Football ahead of us. When the story of a crowd of rowdy men in green of ages ranging from 5 to 65 cheering enthusiastically as an embarrassed sales assistant makes a sale at a boutique Victoria's Secret store in the centre of Copenhagen makes more news headlines than the football match they were there to see, you know it wasn't a vintage game. Yeah, so that's not a great start to the playoffs for the Republic of Ireland or Denmark. Teams that were, you know, both of them were relatively confident going into this match that they could perform, and neither of them really did. Denmark probably played more football on the night than Ireland, but they yeah, more, more possession, possession, more shots. They were closer to scoring goals, but both yeah. teams, you know, there was an. I saw a tweet uh, while the match was on that, uh, you know, maybe this is an argument for the reduced inclusion of European teams going forward in the World Cups, like the, the a less proportion from Europe, because neither of these teams yeah. seemed, you know, able to play football. They had nice kits. That was about their only, you know, qualifying measure for being in yeah. the, the World Cup shake-up at this point. Neither of them are going to do anything at the World Cup. It's a bit disappointing for the for both teams that they didn't even try and put on a show for the fans that were there or those people waiting outside the Victoria's Secret store. Like, I, I don't necessarily agree with that uh, statement because I just think it's such a, like, it's a high-pressure game. It's a once-off. Like, I obviously watch a lot more Ireland than I do Denmark, but, like, Ireland... I think will add something to the World Cup if they do qualify. Like they not just through the atmosphere and whatever, because that's that's secondary to the actual competition. Like there's there's what they there's something to be said about defensive football. Like they like sure it might not be great for the neutral watch, but I, I, I actually enjoyed watching the match on Saturday. It was just every time Shane Duffy headed the ball back, just just a little bit of joy built built up inside inside me. It was I think you might. This might be Stockholm syndrome at this point. <laughs> you were just completely enamoured by Shane Duffy. Um, he's just. He's just what a man he is. Like, but I I disagree that this like if you were to say from the f- footballing pure side of it that says oh this is a tactical masterclass Martin O'Neill that he's setting up the team to nullify the opposition. Like I wouldn't say a it's a tactical masterclass. I just think it's the most efficient way for Ireland to not lose. But that's Shirley's, yeah. I I understand what you're like, saying. That's sport. But they're not here to, to not they're, lose. They're here to win. I don't not think to that entertain. is sport. Yeah, but you're there to be the best that you can be. You're there to compete. That is the best that Ireland can be. A defensive inherently. side that is tough to beat. But they're not even good at that. Like it was more luck than anything else that they avoided defeat. Poor finishing. In, a in that of good... match, ultimately, yes. But when you look at the Wales match, I think that was probably a better example of how good Ireland can be defensively. Like I can't think Poor of any finishing. time. I can't think of any time Wales actually did threaten Ireland. Yeah, in that match. but I, I suppose they they can only beat what's in front of them, or they can only draw what's in front of them, which is what they did mostly yeah. to get to this point. And they, you know, the tie is alive. There's a sequel going to happen tomorrow night. Yeah, that 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 brings us nicely into the news because that that is the last playoff to be played in Europe. At this point, Ireland will host Denmark on Tuesday, and it's, it's nil nil. Like it's still open. It's like it can go either way, and I suppose really that's more entertaining than what we got with yeah, Croatia. Yeah, very much Greece. so. Although there were some lovely goals in that Croatia match, the did your man get a hat trick in the first leg? Like it was very, 
lovely game. And that wonderful photo of Luka Modric jumping, what, seven feet into the sky, you know? That, they, that was a fantastic photo, but again, like, that's just, like... It's a photograph. It's better than what came out of, like, apart from the, the Victoria's Secrets joke, nothing has come out of the Ireland-Denmark match. You know, there was a big fireworks display before the match, which was probably... That was pretty cool looking. It's going to haunt the Danish if they don't qualify. Yeah, I thought that was very odd at the time. Like, it was, it seemed very like this is a party kind of, you know, we're already at the World Cup. Just yeah. have to play these two games at the time. But, you know, obviously if they do go through, it won't, we'll forget about it. But maybe it'll be the first thing we think of if Ireland can qualify on Tuesday. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like I, I don't know. They did their they did their thing. They went there to get a draw. They got a draw. I just disagree that I don't think the game was particularly well played or well marshaled. I think our players were poor. I don't think the midfield performed at all, and I don't think Daryl Murphy on his own. Like, no offense to the guy, he didn't have anything to play with. They, like I'll be, I haven't actually checked it. I probably should have. But I wonder how many touches he actually had of the ball during the whole time. He was on for what sixty five, seventy minutes. 70 minutes roughly yeah Yeah, like I wonder if he had more than 5 touches of the football during that time like he I had no he it'd be very it'd be very few over that I'd say perhaps like and but, that all came from him chasing long balls like, which he can't do he's not a pacey striker he I think he challenged for a few headers he may have won it a couple of times but but like it's away it's an away match in a, it's a high pressure match but they didn't like, even come up with a plan to try and combat the Danes it was it no was, but they did they did though, like they they had a plan to nullify Christian Eriksen. What did Christian Eriksen do that whole match? He had a, he had a couple of shots. He long hit range efforts. He had a couple of long range. Well, in fairness to the Danes, they adapted to the Irish setup fairly quickly, and they almost got paid dirt for it. Ireland set up in a kind of a four-five-one formation, and the Danes set up in a four-three. Was it a no? A three? It was a four. A four-four-two, effectively, and then within a couple of minutes, that had morphed into a, a three-four-three formation, where instead of yeah. having wingers, they actually played three centre forwards, and it really did work for them for a few minutes in that match because Cyrus Christie, who was probably it Ireland's was best only a few minutes night, though. Sorry, it was only a few minutes though. Like they created one yeah, of the opportunity Yeah, I don't know what happened to the Danes, and maybe Ireland recovered a bit, to, a bit of their composure. But for well, those few minutes, they completely took Callum Ireland apart. Like, uh, I just think Callum O'Dowda Cyrus Christie had to come in and play an extra problem. centre half. Uh, O'Dowda on the right wing didn't know how to defend, which is fair enough. He doesn't. He's not a right back, but he had to drop back there, and they kept overloading that side. You know. The I just think that was their only idea, the though. And it wasn't it was a case kind of, of this fire. is our this we. I don't think it was a case of we've studied Ireland. This fight. is their weakness. Like I think it was a case of this is what we're good at. We're gonna just try and do it and hope it works. But like they, were, yeah, you're right. Neither team was very good. That's basically it. I don't know what's going to change. What's you, how do you think the match is going to go then on tomorrow night, Tuesday night? Um, so I'm actually kind of optimistic, which is unusual for me. Really, normally I'm, I'm very pessimistic about these things. But like I think with the introduction of David Myler, I might and the fact that we are at home, I, I think it'll be very like the Serbia match, which yes, Ireland lost, but I, I think I think it'll be a little different this time. Like I, I think Ireland will be able to do it. Who's Myler going to come in for? Do you think? I think Myler will come in for O'Dowda, and then it's just a question of does Wes come in for someone else? I don't think Wes is going to start. Oh uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure that he will either. 
Like, if he's not going to... Well, we'll see. He could go for wholesale changes. He did against Italy in the Oros. Yeah, that might actually be to the benefit of the team, just because yeah. they just played like a few he, days ago. He could bring in Shane Long. He could bring in... He I, could think switch, I think like, he'll bring in Shane Long as well, yeah. Like, I wouldn't... If I were him now, I wouldn't be against necessarily moving to a five at the back to try and uh, match the Denmark formation and play two up front and play Daryl Murphy and Shane Long up front. And actually, if you're playing long balls, at least have something you can aim at. See, like the down. problem the problem that we noticed yesterday is we didn't know who would drop deeper. When Or not yesterday, Saturday. I don't know why I think it was yesterday. But, uh, like we didn't know who would drop deeper because like, Hendrik and Archer couldn't play centre-back. But you think that David Moyer could do that? Yeah, if, he could. If called upon. He could. It is a possibility. So how do you think this match will go? I think it'll be a similar enough match, but I think Ireland will be in the game more. Like, they'll create chances. And I think they'll no, take... I think, I think not, they'll take one of the chances. Who's going to go to the World Cup? Ireland. Ireland are going to go to the World Cup. Okay, yeah, you heard it here first. Be, Ireland are going to yeah. qualify for the World Cup. No need to watch the match now. The other matches that we're going to come to the big one in a minute... But the other match that was decided was... Yeah, we briefly mentioned Croatia there. They, they've got to the World Cup. So they're there. Luka Modric, Rakitic, Serna, Mandzukic, all the ancient... They're not ancient, but they're they're in their 30s now, most of those yeah. players. They're probably... This is going to be their last World Cup. Yeah, they've you They've never performed so. at the World Cup since 98. So this is their chance, I suppose. Yeah, you know, like they, it's they're they're such an odd team. They always underachieve. Like they constantly have underachieved. Even at the Euros, it seemed like they should have at least got to the semi-finals, but yeah, they only got a, to the second round. They've had a, they've not done a, they've not been a good tournament team since '98. Yeah, like it's it's been a poor for them. But they're there, and that's all they could do at this point. Yeah, we'll see they, how the draw goes for them. They beat a spirited Greece, who turns out that weren't very good at the end of no. the day. But they were playing against probably the one of the worst draws they could have got. Yeah. As it turns out, probably was the worst draw they could have got, considering how well, or how poorly, rather, all the other teams have performed in the playoffs thus far. Yeah, and it, uh, uh, like it just seems Greece aren't quite the defensive outfit they were in 2004. No, that's long gone. Like, apart, Socrates, Borussia Dortmund player, did score, and he did play well, but you can't do... A one-man centre-back isn't... Yeah isn't the best idea for to build a team foundation on. Uh, but in the other match, Switzerland have just crawled over the line. That was appalling. Considering, you know, we bigged up Switzerland before this match, how they won, what was it, they won nine out of their ten yeah, matches? Yeah, nine out of ten matches, yeah. Only going out on goal difference to Portugal. They went into the playoffs, you know, favourites enough, you know, they were, they were confident enough with their draw that they got Northern Ireland, They one of the, you know better draws and then they just they did well in the first leg they created chances yeah no they like kept... they, they I think the ma- the two matches really highlighted just how Switzerland did come second in their group because like as you said it was goal difference and the thing that they really just lacked was that cutting edge to finish off Northern Ireland yeah which like is... it, it easily could have been 5 or 6 nil both matches yeah but that's again testament to Northern Ireland's defensive ability that they were able yeah, to yeah like uh, McGovern was quite good in goals yeah, and they're you know they're a solid unit. Like I would consider Northern Ireland's defensive performance much better than the Republic of Ireland's defensive performance. Uh, I don't know about more, that. I don't know. It seems a lot more structured. Like they were new. Structured, they but they it seemed doing. like they were giving up a lot more chances than Ireland were. Yeah, maybe, but that's probably the risk you have to take when they were chasing the match. But even in the first leg, it seemed like poor finishing well, they were at cost. Home in the first leg. 
Yeah. So like, they have to, you know, they're meant to be on the front foot. In the front I don't think I don't think Northern Ireland would agree with that or Michael O'Neill. Maybe not. What's next for Michael O'Neill now that Northern Ireland have gone out to that? You know, he's been linked with the United States job. That would be an interesting. I know Big Sam has put himself forward for that as yeah. well. Yeah. And then there's oh, the Scotland be, job as well. If I were him, I'd go for the United States over Scotland. I know he has. He lived in Scotland, or he, I think he's he still, still he Scotland. still lives in Scotland. Yeah, he lives in Edinburgh, I think. Um, and he had you know most of his playing career was was spent up there. Uh, was it Dundee? He was that during the eighties and after he left Newcastle. You know he 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 likes the country. Obviously, his his family's over there, but the USA is such a tempting prospect because someone like Michael O'Neill who has first and foremost when he took the Northern Ireland job he got his feet under the table very quickly by you know trying to arrange for the you know majority of the players that are available to Northern Ireland to declare for Northern Ireland and not be you know swayed away by the Republic of Ireland like James McLean or Darren Gibson was uh, so he did that first and foremost. Then he got his best players back into the squad and put them back playing. He got Johnny Evans, you know, players like this. Uh, and then he went and he scoured all the divisions looking for any players that could fit into the system as the best player. That's, you know, Will Greggs, you know, plays in League One most of the time. He barely plays the championship when he's playing for a championship team. But he comes in and he does a job for them. Yeah, but I, I like. How does that relate to it? Like, I just think if if well, it... the United States, I think in a much bigger sense, is the same job. Like you've seen already, Pulisic, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah, the Borussia Dortmund striker, one, yeah. could easily be playing for Germany, and he's declared for the United States. Uh, like that was something Jurgen Klinsmann went after early on to try and get all these you know players who could have an interest in the United States to actually declare for them, like foreign nationals born abroad who have U.S. parents, things like that. But also, you know, finding players in the U.S. system that may not be picked out yet. Like, there is actually, you know, we can say what we want about Major League Soccer, but there's a lot of Americans playing in Major League Soccer. And a lot of them probably have untapped potential as athletes. You saw in the last World Cup, when the United States did qualify, a lot of those players in the squad were MLS players. And they were, you know, a bit of a, you know, a surprise team. They had so much pace and athleticism. Yeah, they, they did Portugal. Like, they qualified from the group of Portugal. Yeah. yeah. They like, they, they they generally do show up at the World Cup from, from in recent years anyway. Yeah, but just their management at the moment, Bruce Arena has done a hor- horrible job. Yeah, obviously they won't be showing up at this World Cup. Yeah. Uh, Klinsman had his time, but it kind of just faded out from near the end. But I think... Michael O'Neill would be a better choice than Big Sam. Like Big Sam would probably yeah. give them big game defensive modes, and they probably would get a result here or there against one of the bigger teams in the world. But I don't think it would be good for the long-term success of the international game over there. I think Michael O'Neill would be a long-term appointment. Yeah, just just look at Big well. Sam at youth level as well, or at club level. Like just think of who he brings in from the youth academy. Like I can't think of any. No, he seldom ever. He seldom ever did. Like, and like that's what that's what America needs. They need someone time. to get in at the grassroots level. Yeah. Like I, I don't think he would be a good appointment for America at all, really. No, but he is a name, and the, yeah. you know that's the kind of that's the kind of thing relating to it. That might uh, might be enough to keep them happy, though. The final playoff match. That we've yet to discuss, anyway. 
that we have to discuss. Is Italy against Sweden? Now, we might move this into the topic of the show. Yeah, it would be a, a good transition. It would be a good transition to the topic of the show. If you want to take it away, Declan. Giorgio, Giorgio Chiellini, is that how you pronounce the first name? Yeah, Giorgio. Uh, he had this quote, uh, Guardiolianism ruined a generation of defenders. They can organize themselves, but they don't know how to mark a forward. We must stay away from tiki-taka. It's not in our DNA. We obviously referring to the Italian national team. Uh, this is another just embarrassing performance from Italy again. They're they're gonna miss out on the World Cup after losing to Sweden one 0 on aggregate. Why why is this the case? Just why are they so bad? Well, I think the Italian media are gonna blame the manager. I think yeah, that, that seems Chiellini, like the obvious. Yeah, he's gone. Chiellini preempted all of this by blaming Guardiolaism and the way that football has evolved away from the way it was when he started his career when Italy won the World Cup it was basically when he came through first afterwards it's you know Italy they don't know how they want to play I know we discussed this before off air that Italy seemed to have a way and Conte was doing it as well previously to this current manager and it's a hangover coming back for years that Italy don't seem to have a way to transition from midfield to attack. They're entirely bypassing the forward half of the midfield. Like we can talk about Marco Verratti and I, I don't think he's done it at the, at the Italian level yet, at the international level yet. The defence is rock solid but it's age now, Buffon and the BBC... Yeah, you think this is this is probably the end of Buffon uh, at Italy now. Donnarumma will step up. Yeah, but even then, like just the second leg is just after finishing while, uh, when at the time of recording, and like just what it seemed like the back three almost hindered this side in a way. Like just having three players stay back because the two wingbacks were obviously pushed up, but I think if they played a back four, the two fullbacks still would have pushed very high up the pitch because of the manner of this match. And Benucci was injured in the first half, but continued on playing, and he's in yeah. poor form anyway. Like it just seemed odd to not play Insigne at all. Yeah, it's as if there's like infighting there. It could be a north-south thing as well in Italy that that often crops up. He's an Napoli player, Insigne, so maybe the, he doesn't get on with the other players playing for the northern teams. I think you're right that the, the defense probably stifled them to an extent, certainly in in the first leg and. And, you know, with the injury in the second leg, probably did as well, that they're playing very deep because they're aged. They don't have the pace they once did. So you're having a huge gap between where the fullbacks are and where the defenders are. So they're having to cover extra ground. The midfield is dropping deeper to stay in line with the defence. And then you have a big gap to the, where the strikers are. And where, you, like you say, a player like Insigne could drop in there and do very well. But they're not doing that. They seem to be completely disjointed in midfield. I don't think they've evolved from the 2006 World Cup team. I think Pirlo and players of that ilk, De Rossi and other players that have been there in the World Cup era that were playing until the last few years for the Italian team kind of papered over the cracks. They knew what to do and they, they brought the, carried the team with them and set up chances for you know subpar Italian strikers. And now the likes of uh, Graziano Pelle are, are gone and replaced with actually high-quality Strikers. Yeah, the strikers like, they have in Italy at the moment are are just unreal, really. Like they're they're very like they have the likes of Andrea Bellotti, who's up and coming. He's doing very well at Torino. They have Ciro Immobile, who's just banging them in every week at uh, Lazio. They have even someone like Mario Balotelli, who's doing very well at Nice. Can't like, get into the squad. 
Yeah, exactly. And then like there's Insigne as well, as we said. Like that Napoli team is just tearing apart defences in Serie A. But they don't have a midfield to connect it all up. And as you said, the defence is, is ageing. They've not adapted to the modern game. They were the first to play three at the back, saying that in, in the most recent era of football. But, you know, I think the players that they have seemed, uh, you know, they've, they cannot, no longer, they can't support that formation anymore. They've got too old to do it. They don't have the technical players through midfield. Marquisio isn't what he used to be. Montevideo isn't there anymore. The Italian midfielder, the famous midfielders that they used to produce, the runners, the registas. Pirlo's gone. They're, they're gone, like. I, I, I don't think Verratti's done at international level. I've, I've said that before, I'll say it again. You know, he, he's a show player. He's not done it when it counts. And there's no one else in that midfield who can actually... Well, there's no one else in that midfield that's being played. But, like, Jorginho finally was given his first start in this second leg. And he was by far the best midfielder. Like, he tried... Like, not everything he tried did come off. But sometimes, like when, like, when it did come off, like, it created their best chances in that match. But you can't expect one player on his... Into, yeah. you know, full international debut to suddenly click in with the rest of the team and, and fix everything it's you know it's unfair on the player he should have been brought in much earlier yeah that's true and but, but it was a, a case of too little too late when it came to that like they couldn't oh he definitely should have been in the team great, before like. that like and yeah as you said Sweden aren't, aren't great either like they're like, up and coming they are up and coming. They did well in the under-21 Euros several years ago. They've got rid of Zlatan now. They're bringing through younger players. They still have a few of the old heads still there to give them a bit of experience. But, you know, player by player, pound for pound, they're not as good as their other Scandinavian... Like, Denmark have a better, you know, player-for-player player squad than them. But Sweden are there now, and Denmark still have to play a qualifier. Yeah, and, uh, like, Norway are just getting worse and worse as well, it seems. Just... It's yeah, a lot of time for Scandinavia. There might be a decline in Scandinavian football, but at the same time, if these teams still qualify for the World Cup, what decline is there? Yeah, that's true. And uh, the big question, I think, for Sweden is, will Zlatan come back? I don't think he will. He did come out and say whether Sweden reached the World Cup or not. He's not going to come back, which I think is a fair enough statement. I don't think he would benefit the squad if he went. Yeah, I don't think he like, would he's either. He's a fantastic player, but... You know, you saw in the Euros last year, they just he became the focal point, and he was like, I remember last in some of the matches last year, he was dropping well into defensive midfield trying to get the ball. Yeah. And when he's playing centre forward, there's no point in him being back in the centre mid in the centre circle. Yeah, obviously, or no, obviously, like really need to just play two up front when you're playing that time. Yeah, you do at this stage. And like that just isn't what Sweden want to do. Like they don't want to make a team around him anymore. Yeah, so it'd be best for Sweden, I think, if he if he sits this one out. Yeah, he, he was is... at the match on Thursday or yeah Friday. It was it was interesting watching was, as a fan. Yeah, he. It seemed like he was maybe just seeing what his team could look like in the World Cup. Yeah, he'll have to get used to that. That's his future right there. And uh, is there any, any other thoughts on Italy? Uh, I think they t- t- need to take a big long look at themselves. I think the manager is gone. Yeah. I think a lot of these players are going to be retired. Buffon is now done. 
as far as I know. Yeah, you can see some of the defenders retiring, like uh, Brazali. Yeah, he's 36 or something. Possibly Chiellini. He's in his 30s. Benucci will probably say on, he's a little bit younger. Um, probably be the new captain. The, like they need to bring in this new blood. Like maybe they'll get your 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 finally get your wish, and Carlo Ancelotti will go and take over at, at Italy. Oh yes, ho- hopefully. Like it just it seems like a match made in heaven. Now we move it to the weekend preview. Uh, there's not a lot going on this weekend, but what is going on is very high profile. Uh, in Spain, uh, Real hosts Atletico in the Madrid Derby on Saturday evening. How do you think that'll go? I think it benefits Atletico that it's at the Bernabeu and not at Wanda Stadium. Atletico, if you don't know, haven't lost a league match this season. They're still undefeated in the league. They're eight points adrift to Barcelona, though. And Real Madrid are level on points at them, I think. And Zidane yeah. will probably come into a lot of pressure if they don't win, or indeed if they lose this match to Atletico this weekend. I think but, that. But do be... you think that they can lose this match? Like, do you think it's possible that Real oh, will lose absolutely to Atletico? Possible. Like, it mo- but like Atletico, Atletico don't had... have. They don't have the best record in the Bernabeu. No, they have a terrible record against Real Madrid in general, especially important matches. They do not perform well. Uh, but any like in current form, Real Madrid have played abysmally in the league. They haven't been able to cope. Uh, reactive coaches seem to be getting the better of of Zidane at the moment. You know, coaches who are taking the time to work out a strategy and tactics that are different to what Real Madrid normally play against, and that's basically something that uh, Diego Simeone loves doing. And if he gets his you know players right into the right mindset, like a lot of them have had. You know they played international friendlies maybe this this week or they had it off entirely so there'd be a lot of them fresh and re- re- ready to go. Real Madrid conversely you know have issues in the team with injuries and they're still lacking a few players match sharpness so they they could come into this as you know underdogs almost and Zidane has his job almost on the line like he I think he's got a bit of being his Zidane Zidane he's got a bit of bit of uh, capital in the Bernabeu to waste before he gets sacked. But in previous seasons, uh, you know, a start like this at Real Madrid has led to oh, the be eventually getting sacked. Like, if this was Rafa Benitez, he'd be, be gone. gone, I think. Yeah. yeah. But if this was almost all managers in recent times, Carlo was sacked for a similar type of start. You know, it wasn't until later on in the season. But it was Winning similar. back-to-back Champions Leagues as well does kind of help. It does, but it didn't work for Carlo. If you were Vincente Del Bosque was sacked. He, he only won the one Champions League. Champions League. <laughs> you know, Fabio Capello won the league and was sacked. It's 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 a cruel job being Real Madrid manager. It really. is, especially if there's a presidential election coming up. You know. Yeah. There isn't at the moment, but you know, could you know the the you have to stay on top. Florentino Perez has to stay on top of all of his all of his, you know, employees and Zinedine Zidane being the most high profile of his direct appointments. Yeah, it's like, it's almost just like who would want to take the Real Madrid job if Zinedine Zidane's getting sacked after six months after winning two, a second Champions League in a row, like. Yeah, it's a, it's really quite abysmal when you think about it. It's a, it's a cruel game as football. Especially as a Real Madrid manager, and then you look across the the you know 
down at Barcelona, they're great rivals, and you know you could lose league campaigns, and you'd still keep your man they keep their manager on. They're much more loyal to their appointees. Yeah, and like Gareth Bale has apparently been put up for sale as well this week with another injury for him. Uh, that's not maybe Manchester United will finally get their man. Yeah, Mourinho is very uh, open about his need for Gareth Bale over the summer. Mm, well, I don't see Mourinho being there next summer to make that decision. Uh, I think Ed Woodward will make the decision anyway at this point. Probably, probably. Just just knowing what he's like. Uh, but speaking of the Premier League, Premier League teams, uh, the big Premier League game of the weekend is Arsenal against Tottenham, North London Derby, Saturday afternoon. And uh, now Mike Dean has been appointed referee for this match. Mike uh, Dean so is always appointed referee for Arsenal matches. So, uh, just how many penalties will Arsenal concede in this match? Uh, penalties, I would say, conservatively one. Uh, oh, Harry just the Kane one is, is going it? to be back for this match, which is going to elate most Spurs fans and people who have them in their fantasy teams. I think yeah, Hugo Lloris is expected to be back as well. Although oh, I think it's a bit more, like, bit so more touch and go. A full, a full uh, Spurs side will play against Arsenal, who yesterday lost Giroud to a tie tie injury. I want to say. Oh, did he get a did he get injured? He got injured there playing for France and. Uh, <laughs> You know, it just gets better for Arsenal, really. Well, at least Giroud isn't a, isn't a starter, but he is a good option off the bench. He is. And don't worry, he also said this week that he's 100% with Arsenal. So that's for something now. for the Spurs players to fear. <laughs> so who do you think will win this match? It's not on the Emirates. Uh, I reckon, because it's a derby, you can almost throw form out the window. Because even when... Was it last oh season? yeah, definitely in this one. Uh, last season was Francis Coughlin I know it was at, at, at Right Heart Lane but Francis Coughlin was sent off and Spurs that was two goal. seasons ago but it's not a draw two all draw it was a two all draw two seasons ago it seemed like Tottenham were going to destroy Arsenal but then just finished a draw in the end and how did the matches go last season like, last season like was them? the last last derby White Hart Lane so Tottenham just were fairly comfortable but the match the Emirates was very cagey didn't re- like neither side, re- neither side really control the game. It was one all, I think. Tottenham got a penalty. Yeah, I, that's kind of how I think it's going. I think. Yeah, it could just be a carbon copy of last season's match. Actually, now that well, I think about it, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a carbon copy. I think Spurs are going to be better than they were last season. But at the same time, Arsene Wenger's had a few games against uh, Pochettino now to try and work him out. And Pochettino has he always when he plays against Arsenal, he plays this very high pressure game where he tries to pin Arsenal in deep. Arsenal weren't playing five at the back then, so I see it being a bit different. But do you think they will really play push. back but five at the back? Oh, I think so, and I think they'll they'll try and use that to combat the, the the Spurs press by having more bodies in there to try and relieve some pressure and give another passing option out. So I would edge. I give Spurs the edge for this. But Arsenal played well against Man City, who are the best team in the league. They did lose three one, but they played yeah, well. Yeah, was they still were probably one of the better sides Man City have faced this season. Yeah, uh, they they gave Man City a few problems, so it was certainly more than a lot of teams have. Um, so I would give Spurs the edge because they're in form and they you know they just you know are are better than Arsenal at this moment in time. But Arsenal could put in a performance to to, to scrape a draw on that one. Yeah. I'd, I... I think a draw is just the most likely outcome because it's the first derby of the season. It seems like that's always a draw, or there's always one draw between these two in the season. As you um, said, it's very cagey, though, these yeah. matches usually. And I think the fact that it's not, like it was a 12 o'clock kickoff last year as well in the Emirates, and it seemed like the atmosphere was just dead because of it. Yeah. 
And like that just didn't help the match at all. It felt very deflated the whole 90 minutes. Like that could be the case again. There is an advantage with the exception of Christian Eriksen who has to play tomorrow night. The rest of the team should be relatively rested. Yeah, that's always kind of the advantage coming out of this international break every couple of years that most of the players that most of the players are well rested by the time the games come back around in the league. So a Saturday afternoon match mightn't be the worst. Yeah. Or mightn't be as bad as one normally would have one after a European you know, a Champions League week or something like that. Yeah, and Arsenal's form in November is notoriously terrible. So that's another <laughs> well, that's factor. A, maybe if you want to gamble on <laughs> something like this, maybe that's something to take into account. I think it's, it's the worst points per game in any month that Arsenal have under Wenger or something like that. Some stat like that that kind of was big last year. Oh, Arsenal. Yeah, they're so cyclical. It's it's fascinating, really. Yeah, it just doesn't change. They're all Arsenal fans are already, uh, you know, content. They're already set their mind up on maybe getting fourth, if not fifth or sixth, and you know, trying their luck in the Europa League and the FA Cup. And that yeah, I suppose the Europa League is something different for them this year. Yeah, gives them an option on the outside. Spurs, you know, on the other hand, it's complete opposite. They're they're in the Champions League knockout stages. Yeah, and they're doing very well. Like they've got the win over Dortmund and Real Madrid. Like that's. It's more than what Arsenal have done, really, in recent years in the Champions yeah, League. Exactly. They're punching above their weight now, Spurs, in, in European football. So. It's, an odd, it's an odd power shift that it, I don't know how long it will stay like this. I suppose as long as Pochettino is at Tottenham, maybe. Or as long as Wenger's still at Arsenal. But yeah, that's maybe more of a, a topic of the show that we could discuss maybe next week. Depending on how the result goes, but yeah. I think that's. We'll see now. We'll see. Whether Pochettino was the worst manager ever, or he's the yeah. best manager ever, and Wenger's the worst manager ever. It was that'll be the top. That's a little preview for you for our topic of the show next week. Yeah, that's that's how well we plan ahead. But I think that uh, that will do us for this week. Uh, we're going to bring the show to a close. Thank you for listening, and please do get in touch if you have any questions on any of the the big leagues or just any topic of the show ideas. Uh, uh, we're welcome to ideas. Uh, you can email us at thetfpod at gmail.com and you can follow us on social media at thetfpod. Uh, follow us individually. I'm at cheesy hairpun. H-A-R-T-E, I realise I should probably say. Uh, they, Andrew, know you are, they know it. They know Hopefully they know it. Um, you, Andrew, you're at Kanban27. Uh, and please remember to subscribe, rate and review on the platform of your choice. It, it really helps us out. Uh, and that just leaves me to Andrew say goodbye. Au revoir. Uh, it's goodbye from me.